And we're in Philippians chapter 3 here this morning. We're going to read verses 9 through 16 in our series called Joy-Filled Living. I titled this morning's message, uh, Essentials for Success. And the reason I shared that little joke with you on the front end was because people can confuse the chapter three. How, how many like either biographies or autobiographies? You like reading about people's lives and studying them. Yeah, a lot of you do. And, and one of the things about those is, you know, we read things, usually it's people that we either admire or, you know, want, want to learn, you know, what was the, the secret, you might say, to their success or uh, the things that they've accomplished. And, and uh, you might say that uh, Philippians chapter three is kind of like uh, the Apostle Paul's autobiography. And it's something he's sharing about his past. We're going to, again, be sharing with you on, on sharing your testimony you know, that you have a past, you have a present, and you have a future. And, and the Apostle Paul here in chapter 3 lays out his past, he lays out his present. We're going to look at that today. And then he also talks about his future. And that makes for a great, great testimony. And so uh, we'll be studying that today. But um, it, it's easy to uh, get lost in this. And, and the enemy, you know, again, understanding as Jesus said that the enemy of our soul, as the word goes forth, he wants to try to snatch it away before it ever even gets to your heart. Or he wants to choke it out by all the different things that go on in this world. And so we have to be deliberate and really seek to pay attention to it. I mean, uh, again, uh, Paul talks about, you know, uh, again, the, the power of God and, and the resurrection power. And you think about that, that the resurrection was really the greatest force of, of God's strength in this world. And you think, of a display of that in the resurrection. And you go, why would the resurrection of all the things that God did? And you go, because hell was working so much against it. I mean, to think of, you know, I mean, the last thing that the enemy of your soul ever wanted to happen was for Jesus Christ to be raised from the dead. And so everything you think about in your own life, you ever had a habit that you've tried to break? You ever had a struggle? You ever, you know, like the Apostle Paul saying, you know, I, I have a desire to do good, but the ability to be able to perform it, he goes, I, I, I can't because there's a, what, there's a war that wages within us. Yeah. And so there, there's, a, there's a power, there's a force you know, that is working against us. And, and so when Paul today, as we study through this, you know, especially this chunk of, of, of scripture, when I talked about essentials for success, this isn't a roadmap for salvation, okay? And that's important that you get that. Salvation is a gift from God to all who receive it. But there is, if, if you, like I said, read a, a biography, an autobiography, and you look at any person's life who has any success, there's some things that are consistent from person to person, from trade to trade, whatever the things might be. And if you're here today and you have a desire to live a successful life, Christian life, that, that in a sense, when Paul talks about it, it's like winning, you want a faith that, that wins. There, there's about five things, if you're a note taker today, as we get into this, that you'll want to jot down and you want to pray through in your own life. And again, like I said, is it for everybody? And you go, well, it, it should be. But again, it's not that people will actually set out and apply these things in their individual lives. Some people, like I said, they come to church on Sunday and that's pretty much, you know, their faith. That's all that they do. There's some people that come Sunday and they come Wednesday. There's some that come Sunday and Wednesday and they come to a connect group. There's some that, you know, are involved in all different aspects, you know, of ministry or different levels that you might say. And, and, and again, and if you look at the lives of those people that are at the deepest place of their faith, you're going to find some things that are consistent from person to person and group to group. But 
it's important that you understand that these aren't things in order to be saved. These are things that happen because you are saved. And again, and it's so important that we, we see that and we get that on the front end. And so we'll read verses 9 through 16 here together. Then we'll take a moment and we'll pray and we'll, we'll jump into this. And here's the Apostle Paul writing about really in the present tense of his life. He said, And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that, Lord, as we study it here even further, verse by verse, and again, line upon line and precept upon precept, that, God, you would help us to glean the truths that you have for us. And like the Apostle Paul, Lord, that we would, we would want all that you have for us. And that, Lord, we would look at our lives and we would examine ourselves this day and to see where we're at within our faith and to make those, those adjustments. And, Lord, to invite you to bring about that change, Lord, because everything that you have for us is good. And we pray these things, not only for your glory today, we pray them for our good and for the good, the good of the world that's around us today, that you would use us, Lord, uh, for your purposes, Lord. We, we live for you, we exist for you, and may you be magnified in each and every heart, each and every home this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if I had to sum up, you know, verses one through eight, you know, to you the, this morning here, um, there's a quote that comes to mind, uh, and it's by, you know, the American missionary Jim Elliott. I, I've shared it with you, you know, frequently, uh, but it's so fitting in this. Uh, when I think about what Paul has given up here in his own life, he says, uh, Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that really, when you look at verses one through eight in Philippians chapter three, that, that just in really really hits it right, I think, where the Apostle Paul uh, would want us to understand it, that, uh, you know, you, you are losing nothing uh, when you give it up for Jesus Christ and everything that you have, have given up for his sake, he replaces with something so much more. And Paul, for himself, talks about that, what that is, and that's his very presence in our life. Look, we, we were talking about, you know, the word knowledge and to know is that we wouldn't just know information about and we wouldn't just have highlighted you know verses in our bible or side notes or you know whatever it might be but that we would know him experientially that we would see this not as a religion because that's what paul did he traded his religion for a relationship and that's what he wants you and me to do today to trade religion for relationship because it's real easy uh, for religion to creep in in anyone's life because we tend to like order and we like organizations and so we create our own rules we create in the sense our own regulations then um you know and as i look at this you know here this morning 
verses, especially, you know, verses 12 through 16, they, they serve for us kind of, like I said, a roadmap. Uh, and, and it's from Paul's own life. So we're looking, like I said, it's kind of like an autobiography of his life. And they really are essentials, you might say, for success. And, and like I said, I, I couldn't stress enough, you know, to remind you that, again, uh, what he's not telling us here is you need to do these things in order to be saved. These are things that will flow from our life. These will th be distinctives of your life when you're saved and you begin to experience what the Apostle Paul did upon, you know, having that, that you know, interaction with the Lord in your life, and you come to understand and to know the plans and the purposes that he has for you as you continue to, to press in to seek him. The, the first one, you know, that I, I look at here in verse 12, um, if there was something that kind of defined the success of Paul, if you'd write this down, this is number one, it, it's a sanctified dissatisfaction, sanctified dissatisfaction. And, and what's interesting in this is if you you, you look at what's going on in our world today. Um, you know, not even going to get into a political side of it, but I want you to understand something that marketing 101, you know, my background before ministry was I was in the beverage industry and, and our whole campaign, if you remember, I worked with Snapple Beverage Company, uh, you know, and it said made from the best stuff on earth, right? And really it wasn't. I mean, uh, but that's, you know, that's, you know, it had fruit in it and other things, but it had a lot of other stuff in there too. When you started to figure it out, when you, people, they put an FDA label on there back in 1993, when that first came out, you know, people were slamming Snapples right and left. They were buying them, you know, by the, the three pack and the six pack and drinking them all day long. Cause it said on there made from the best stuff on earth. Right. And then the FDA labeling came out and you discovered that it had 360 calories per bottle. And all of a sudden sales, you know, just kind of dropped a little bit. But one of the ways that, that they marketed it and it works is, and this is across the board, is you have to market dissatisfaction. Because when people become dissatisfied with something, what happens? They look for something new. There's proof in it. If you have an iPhone today, what, what number are they on on the iPhones? What's, what's the number that's out right now? There's an iPhone what? 12, okay, so we've had a few numbers before that, right? And, and I can tell you this, and the one that I have, it doesn't work any better than the 11 or the 10 or the nine. They seem to be getting slower and slower, you know, and slower, and they tell you, but what do they do in order to get you to buy whatever's new? Is they have to create dissatisfaction. Now, I want you to think about that because our government is really good at this. I want you to understand something. No, I mean, in all sincerity, it doesn't make any difference, Republican, Democrat, or anything else. To get you to buy into whatever is, somebody understands marketing 101, because it works on any continent, any country, any people, is that you create dissatisfaction in order to replace it with something else, okay? It works all the time. So when I think about this, you know, sanctified, I call it sanctified dissatisfaction, because Paul, we understand, he is completely satisfied with Jesus Christ, okay? That's what he says, I, my desire is to know him. And you know, when you love somebody, I mean, you really love somebody, what, what do you want for that person? You want the best for that person, right? And then you wanna experience whatever that person experiences you know, with them, right? You go, honey, and that's one of the great promises, right? You go, honey, I'm gonna be with you. I'll be with you in the highs of life. I'll be with you in the lows. Whatever you go through, you know, I'll go through with you, right? I mean, one of the, the most, I mean, 
you think about from a biblical perspective, I know all you couples are, oh, that's me, George. Yeah, I see you out of the corner of my eye. Okay, so, but what's interesting at a wedding, and I always love when somebody reads from the book of Ruth, and they read the dialogue, not between a husband and wife, but they read the dialogue between Ruth and Naomi, where Ruth says, you know, basically, you know, that wherever you go, I'll go. And wherever you lodge, you know, I'll lodge. Wherever you lay down, I'll lay down. You know, your people will be my people. And ultimately, she says, and where you die, I'll die. That, that, is, that is a relationship, right? And you think about the Apostle Paul, when he's laying out his credentials here in, in chapter 3, remember he's telling us, you know, that, hey, you know, if you think you've got credentials, you Judaizers, you guys that are coming along and, and questioning, you know, who I am, my apostleship and, you know, my relationship with God. He goes, just know this, you know, part before Jesus, man, I was, I was the, you know, the king of the crop. I mean, I was, you know, uh, born the eighth day, you know, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, I mean, uh, a, a Jew, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee on top. I mean, you, you couldn't get any higher than the apostle Paul. And he's going, so I've experienced all those things. And like I shared with you, it's not it's, it's important that you understand the time frame that this is 30 years after that fact, okay? So he's had time to experience the highs and the lows. And I shared with you, you know, from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and you can go back and read, you know, Paul, you know, he's laying out the things that he's gone through and the sufferings, the beatings, you know, the imprisonments, being shipwrecked. I mean, all the things that happened to him. And, and here he is in Philippians chapter 3 saying, and whatever Jesus has gone through, he goes, I want to go through it too. He goes, I want to know him. And because you think about this in your life, when was the last time you prayed? I mean, honestly, you go, Lord, I want to suffer like you suffer. I mean, seriously. And I'm not saying that you need to pray that, but that's what Paul prayed. That's what Paul prayed. And so if you're studying his life and you're going, you know what? Uh, and I share with you often, I go, you know, keep Jesus between you and everything else, right? And, and here's, here's, here's what we need to examine in our own life. Is there a gap? between you and Jesus today, because whatever that gap is, something is going to fill it, right? Something is going to fill it. I was sharing with first service, I, my wife and I, we, we like cycling and the Tour de France was on this month. And, and we always like it because our anniversary is in July and we get to watch, you know, bicycle racing. And that's, you know, one of the things that we like. And, and one of the things that's so fascinating about it, and it, it's kind of like, if you like NASCAR, you know, racing or anything like that, it's called drafting. And they draft in cycling, and, and you can, there's an aerodynamics to it that the person who's out in front, you know, is the one who's breaking, you know, the wind for the rest of the group and, and shielding them. The person who's behind, you know, only has to use 90% effort uh, because that person in front of them is giving them, they're able to draft. Well, the person who's in third wheel actually has the best advantage of all. They only have to put out, based on the same uh, amount of, of travel distance and speed, 70%. So they're saving 30% of their energy. And so that's the wheel that you want to be on. But that means that you have to ride. And you got to think about this. You're traveling on a bicycle somewhere around 25 to 30 plus miles an hour. And you got to trust the person in front of you because you have to be within six inches of their wheel for that to really work. So you better trust that person. I was sharing with First Service. I go, my wife, you know, over the years of riding with her, I mean, she's got, she's really good. I don't like to follow anybody because I don't trust anybody. Okay. I just, I mean, I'm thinking they're going to hit their brakes. I'm going to hit them and we're all going to go down. It's happened. I it's not, you know, I see Ben and same thing in motorcycle racing or anything else. It's not, it's what's the old expression. It's not if you fall, it's what? 
when you fall, right? So it's going to happen, okay? But fortunately for her, it's never happened. She's never hit me. I've never braked in front of her where it's caused that. But you have to make sure there's no gap between you. And so the Lord uses that. Those are the, the, just natural things in your own life that he, it's like he'll check me up and he'll go, Mike, there's, you're, you're letting there, there's a gap between me and you. And it's not that he says that to me. It's an impression that he places upon my heart. And I go, oh, oh. so I, I see with the Apostle Paul, there's no gap. Okay, that, that's what he's saying. There's no gap. There's no distance between whatever Jesus was going through. He goes, I wanted to go. Goes, so Lord, whatever you've suffered, I want to suffer. Whatever pain, and you go, and did he experience that? And he said, yeah, and your death. How was Jesus? He was crucified. Well, how was Paul? Paul, in a sense, was he was beheaded. He suffered. He was martyred. Okay. And then he goes, and then to know your resurrection, to know you in the resurrection, to know resurrection power. And he was understanding that that resurrection power isn't just something that we're going to experience one day, and we are, but resurrection power is what you and I can experience here and now in this life. But you won't experience that in your life. I won't experience that in my life if we don't apply these truths. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. It doesn't just happen because you show up at church. Paul is laying out from his own life, and so we study that. And so we see a sanctified dissatisfaction there in verse 12. Look what he says. Not that I've already attained or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. And so what was, again, he's totally satisfied in his relationship with the Lord, what Jesus has done for him, but he's not satisfied in what he has done for Jesus. Does that make sense to you? That, that's important. He was satisfied in what Jesus had done for him. When Jesus hung on the cross and died, he said, it is what? Finished. There's nothing to add. You cannot add, you cannot take away for what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. But as Colossians 1 says, but that which he said lacked in Christ, he says, I want to make up in my own body. There's still opportunity to live for God. There's still opportunity in this world today to suffer for God. There's still opportunity to die for God. And people go, why would I want to do that? And as Paul said, he goes, because I love you, Lord. That's what I loved about that song, you know, by Matthew Ward, you know, is to be able to say, you know, that, man, you're my all, you're my best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. I mean, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, you know, I mean, you, that, and that's what Paul's saying, knowing you, God, I want to know you just like those of you that you know that kind of love, you enjoy that in your, in your marriage relationship that you go, I want to know whatever you know. I want to, I want to experience whatever you experience. I love those, you know, on social media, uh, you'll see a spouse that, you know, has cancer and they've lost their hair and then their, their spouse, you know, comes in and they do what? And they shave their head, whether they're male or female. It doesn't make any difference. They go, because what are they saying? You go, whatever you're going through, I want to go through that too. And that's what Paul is saying with his life. And so he's going, I'm dissatisfied. I'm dissatisfied because he goes, I'm not looking at you guys. Because that's what he was telling you. He goes, guys, if you want to get on a comparison note, and here's the problem, because we all have pride, way more than what we probably ever want to admit is that we compare ourselves to other people. You might not do it out loud, but something happens in our heart that we go, you know what, I'm not as, I'm not as, and this is why, you know, self-examination isn't always good because we err one of two ways. We either think so less of ourselves 
or we think too highly of ourselves, right? But we compare ourselves to other people and we go, well, I might not be as good as them, but I'm not as bad as them, right? And Paul's going, no, we're not, no, we only got one marker. We only got one, we only got one person. If you're going to compare, then this is who you compare to, Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He goes, and so I'm dissatisfied. He says, within myself, of me, not Jesus, uh, of falling short. Like Paul would say, you know, in Romans 7, there's a wishing. I wish, I wish to do good. But, but the ability to perform it, I don't even know how to do it. So thanks be to God for what? His amazing grace in my life, the mercy of God, that God will do that, that work. And so it is, it really is a sanctified dissatisfaction. And, and I love this because when you think about this, you know, there's in, in Philippians 3, verses 12 and 15, Paul is talking about that word perfect there as you look at that. And again, he, he's, not, he's not saying, hey, I've arrived at perfection. The, the translation of that is maturity. Because I haven't, I haven't reached maturity yet. There's still growth. There's still development that, uh, that I can attain in my life. And I think all of us can say that. Is there's still room for growth, amen? I mean, because Jesus is the measuring stick. Jesus is the one that you're, when you're looking in the mirror, that's who we are looking to. You go, God, make me like you. We're not praying, make me like someone else. That we could do, but that's not what we're called to do here. And that's definitely not what the Apostle Paul is declaring in his own life. Would you confess we're all a work in progress? Yeah, because that's, that's really what it comes down to. And yet... The Apostle Paul, like I said, he's satisfied in Jesus, but it reminds me of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, 1 and 2. It says, as the deer pants, and think about that, as a deer pants for the water brooks, the psalmist wrote, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, and when shall I come and appear before God? Yeah. And being dissatisfied with our relationship with God that you know, don't don't rest on your on your laurels. Don't go, oh, you know, hey, oh, I you know, I I you know, I I'm not who I once was. I'm better than that now, but you know, you're not who you shall be. Our relationship isn't just about the past and being forgiven. It's not just about the present. It's about the future. That God is preparing us for a future. The second thing that we see here as an essential for success, you know, besides, you know, really, you know, you think about um, being dissatisfied in our life is really, it's going the other way. It's being wholly devoted. If I see, you know, things that I, I glean from looking at the Apostle Paul's life here, that he, he, he's wholly devoted to the things of God. Look at verse 13 there. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He says, but one thing, that, that's important. You lock in on that, that in this verse. But one thing, he says, I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. That, that, that one thing is, is, a, is a phrase that's so important in the Christian life. You see it often in Scripture you know, one of the first places I'm reminded of it is in Mark's gospel in chapter 10, verse 21, when Jesus is talking to the self-righteous rich young ruler. And, you know, what does he tell him? He's going, you know, hey, I've, I've kept all the commandments, right? And he knows he has a lot of wealth, right? And then so Jesus tells him to do what? He says, go sell your possessions and, and distribute it to the poor. And what happens? He's like, man, I can't do that because I got a lot of money. I can't do that. And he was heartbroken because he was like 99.9% .9 there. 
And Jesus says, one thing you lack. One thing. Just one thing. One thing you lack. And man, that's a big one thing. In Luke's gospel, you, you know the story of Mary and Martha, right? Remember when Jesus comes to the house and, and Mary and Martha are both in the kitchen. They're both serving. And then Mary walks away from, from Martha in the kitchen and she goes and she sits at Jesus' feet. And then Martha comes in and she's complaining. She's upset that, you know, she's the only one working. She's the only one serving. And Jesus says, you know, to Martha, you know, he says, Martha, one thing is needful. One thing, one thing, one thing. That's what the Apostle Paul began to comprehend in his life, what I pray that you and I comprehend in ours. You know, we can get busy with a lot of stuff, right? You ever feel like you're just being pulled in a lot of directions in life and everything else? And, and here's Jesus going, it's one thing, one thing. There's one thing that's needful, you know. You, you, can, you can do a lot of, you know, and it's not, you know, bad things. It's good things that we get pulled away that really take us away from the things that the Lord would have for us. How about in John's gospel, in John chapter 9, verse 25? Uh, remember, uh, the, the guy who's blind, right? And Jesus heals him, right? And then the Jewish authorities, they call him in, and they're going, okay, so we want to know, how is it that you see, right? And he's going, you know, one thing. I only know one thing. What was the one thing that he knew? He says, I was blind, and now I see. One thing, you know, one thing. And, and I, I look at Paul's life, you know, and it, you, you get this. I mean, he's wholly devoted. I don't mean H-O-L. I mean, holy. He's completely, he is what you can say is all in. Can you say that about your faith today? Are you all in? Or is there a gap? Is there a gap between you and Jesus? And this isn't to lay something heavy on you. This is for you and me to examine ourselves, for me to hear exactly what I'm saying to you. And, and looking at my own life, you go, is there a gap between where I am and where God would have me to be? And I look at the Apostle Paul's life. I can look at him and go, okay, he's, as Paul would say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But he's not saying this is what you have to do. No. In order to be saved, and I share with you frequently, it's Jesus plus what? Nothing. Jesus plus nothing. But to live a life of joy I mean, there's a lot of people that are going to, to heaven that have no joy in their life. And you go, why? And you go, because they're the focus of their life. Where Paul is going, hey, remember, it's Jesus, everybody else, and then you. It's not that you don't take care of you, but you're the, you're the lowest person on the, on the totem pole. Everything else comes first. That's called denial. And well, that's what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, pick up your cross, and follow me every single day. There's where joy is. And that's what we're seeing in Paul's life. There's no question that Paul is all in. We study his life and we go, here's a guy who's all in. And here's a guy who, even when he's in prison, here's a guy, even when he's been beaten up, here's a guy that's when he suffered tremendously, then he's praying that, Lord, I want to know you in your suffering. Guess what? He's going, I know his joy. And you think about that in our lives. You go, Man, we can get so upset over the smallest little thing. I love what the psalmist would declare in Psalm 27, 4. But one thing, one thing have I desired, and that I will seek after. Isn't that awesome? One thing, a heart that's just wholly devoted to God. Can you think of some examples, you know, in Scripture, common people, you know, that were 
all in, you might say. I think of Nehemiah. You know, remember when Nehemiah is working on the wall and he's got, you know, people coming right and left telling him, hey, you need to come down and check this out. You need to come down. You need to come over here and you got to address this. You got to do this. In Nehemiah chapter six, verse three, Nehemiah responds. He says, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. It's like focused, right? Just, I mean, all in and what he's doing. Acts 6, 4. I think, I think of, remember, when the apostles, uh, the, uh, they came and were complaining about the Hellenistic Jews, the widows, they weren't being cared for properly the way that they wanted. And so the apostles, they got together and they said, listen, um, you know, we're not going to take care of this. You guys, we're going to give you some money. You need to pray about, find guys that are of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, and you entrust this work to them. They said, because we as apostles, this is what we're going to do. We are, we are wholly devoted to, and then here's what it says in Acts 6, 4. It says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You know, people get all mad. You know, people, they go, well, they're not serving like this, and they don't do this, and they don't do this. And you go, no, but we need to stay. And what I love about the Christian faith, the analogies of all the things that Paul could use is he uses a race, Right. And we understand that because he's in Rome, there he is in Greece, and you know the home of the Olympics. And and uh, well, though what I think Paul's going to be talking about here, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, is not about running a race, but more about chariot racing, because that's also was something that was really popular as well. But I, I think of this, and I, I'm looking at you know what the Apostle Paul you know is encouraging us to do, you know, is to stay focused is to to be all in and, and to you know count the cost and i look at you know here the the apostles are they're going i'm not going to get sidetracked i'm not going to get away from this i'm going to stay on point and do the things that the lord has called me to do james the half brother of jesus what does he respond by saying james 1 8 he says a double-minded man is what what's a double-minded man the bible tells us unstable right unstable in all of his ways is having that single-minded focus. That's what Paul is saying, like a, like a, like a good soldier. You know? And you think about you know, running, like I said, in a, in a race, and all of a sudden you're going, what do they do? You go, well, in football, you go like this. You're, you're head-to-head. Basketball, you're head-to-head. But in track, what are you doing? You're running side-by-side, running for the same prize. And so here's the only consequence that happens, and he's going to allude to this in verse 16. There's the dilemma is what happens when you don't stay in your own lane? What happens when you stick your nose into everybody else's business, you might say? You get disqualified, right? And you go, why? Well, what does Scripture talk about? Scripture says you become what? A stumbling block to someone else. And in in track, you see they have lines on the track, right? And you have to stay in your lane. You have a relationship with God. There's a lane for you to run in. You don't run in anybody else's lane. You stay in your lane the whole way, the whole way around, Jesus Christ becomes both the reward and the rewarder of the race that you run. And Paul recognizes that. The third, really essential for success, I think, like I said, I think these transcend, you know, uh, activities in life or people. I think they're the same across the board. You look at somebody who is successful in life, and I think you'll see these things that there's a dissatisfaction. They don't just go, oh, you know, I'm content. You know, I mean, I'm not saying not content with Jesus. I'm talking about content with where they're at. They're constantly growing. They're constantly, you know, pressing in, you know, to the things you know, that they need to. That, I mean, you think about they're wholly devoted. I mean, they, they are focused on what they're doing. They don't, they're not going to get sidetracked. Um, they're committed to those things. And then maybe this is the biggest thing when you really think about 
Uh, and I look at what's going on in the world today and I don't get upset. I, I used to, but I really, I don't get upset when I look at the world and I see what's happening in the world today. And you see all the things that are happening and, and, and there's a lot of you know, groups they're arguing, they're fighting about, and we're constantly looking back on our history, right? And what are we doing? We're seeing, you know, that we're, we're tearing down our history. Like, you know, we, we want to destroy the past. Like if we destroy the past, is that going to change the past? Not at all. But that's what happens when you don't have God. Because you're, you're thinking, well, if we just eliminate the past, then we just won't, we won't have any knowledge of it. And that's not really what, you know, God desires for us at all. But when you don't have God in your life, you don't have number three. You don't have an eternal perspective. And that's probably the most important thing. And it's probably the thing that you and I have going for us the most going on in the world today. That when you, hopefully you're sitting back when all these things are happening, we go, people come like, hey, we need reparations. You know, we need this for what happened back then. And you go, no, I'm going to be held accountable for my sin. You're going to be held accountable for your sin. You will not be held accountable or someone else's sin, okay? Now, that's what God says. Now, the world can do whatever the world wants to do, and that's what they're trying to do, but it'll never satisfy, you know, the human heart. It, it's, a, it's just, you know, it's a dead-end road. And yet, when we look at this, you know, here's Paul. He has a, an eternal perspective, and you think, why is this so important? Well, you have to understand, go back to the book of Acts. What happened in Paul's life in this region when he was Saul of Tarsus? Scripture tells us that he stood by as a coat rack when Stephen, who was the first martyr, was put to death. He has that in his memory bank. So here's a guy that in his zeal for religion, okay, had people killed, thinking he was doing God a favor. So he was a murderer, guilt by association. He has that knowledge. And how's he going to move on from that? Is he ever going to get past it? And you go, no. And so there's a lot that we can glean from this if we're going to have success in our faith, because I think most people that I counsel with are tripped up because of their past. They go, oh, no, it's not because, you know, Pastor Mike, before I became a Christian, it's stuff that I did after I became a Christian. I think God, you know, forgave me of the stuff I did before, but, you know, and that's not understanding the grace of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God. Paul understood, he comprehended all those things. And in such a deep, personal way. Look at verse 13. He says, brethren, again, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. What does he say? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I mean, like I said, you look around, you read the newspaper, and the unsaved person is controlled by what? Their past. That's how they see the present is through their past. That's all they can. Think about it. So we, we need to be a little less critical of the world around us because they're only doing what a person without God would do. That's what they're doing. It's the, what the natural man would do. But as children of faith, what do we do? Now, you think about, we look ahead. See, in, in Bible terminology, you know, to forget, it doesn't mean to fail or be unable to remember, okay? I mean, think about this, you know, apart from senility, apart from a brain injury, I mean, we can't forget the past in the truest sense. It's there. What does God do? Psalm 103 tells us 
He says, as far as the east is from the west, says the Lord, I for what? I forget your sin and I remember it no more. Does that mean that God gets amnesia? No, he does. If you're going to be successful in your faith, here's what you have to do. You have to choose to let go of the past. You have to choose, make a willful decision to not hold on to the past. So the Bible there, to forget, again, by definition, you might want to write this down, to forget in Scripture, it means this, no longer to be influenced or affected by it. No longer influenced or affected by it. And that can be both positive and negative. What does it matter, you know, that in, when I was in the third grade, I was the nail champ in, in, in Cub Scouts. What I mean by that was they had a block of wood and they put a big nail in it and you got to hit it with a hammer. And the kid who could drive that nail completely flush with that wood with the least amount of hammer blows was the winner. I won that. I don't know what my mom did with that trophy, by the way. <sighs> All it was was a block of wood with a nail on it and somebody painted it gold, you know? And you think about it, you go, so... What, what does that do? you? But people do that all the time, right? We've got trophies, all this. This is what it was back then. Paul's going, it's all dung. He used a very strong word. He goes, it's all dung. Your best efforts, your best accomplishments, everything that you think was something, he goes, it's all dung in comparison to the knowledge of knowing Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And you go, huh. And so he goes, no, you need to forget it. You can't be influenced or affected by it. That can be positive. Like I said, that can be negative. You want to get over the past? Then start living for the future. Turn your back on the past. Now, here's what Paul did. Could Paul change the past? So hear me on this. Could Paul change the past? No, but Paul could change how he looked at the past. There's the secret. Paul could not change the past. You cannot change the past. I cannot change the past. But I can change and you can change. And Paul did change how he looked at the past. And that is everything between success and failure. You think about it in your own life. Think about how the past has crept into your present and robbed you because it got you to focus on something that you cannot change. That you cannot change. And so what did Paul do? He chose to no longer let it you know, control him, dominate his thoughts. He let it do what? He let it inspire him. You can let your past, you go, what? My failures? I can let my failures inspire me? You go, absolutely. Talk to somebody who's lost and then turn that into a victory because what? They worked harder. They tried. And again, we're not talking about salvation here, but we are talking about performance. Yeah, most, most definitely. Because we are going to stand before Jesus one day. Every single human being, any person that's ever lived, will stand before God and give an account of our lives. Those who have not Jesus as Savior and Lord will stand at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And there's no hope at that day. You will see Jesus for who he is. You will recognize him as Savior and Lord. But because it was never appropriated in your life, you were never under the blood of Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell apart from God. Are good people going to go to hell? Absolutely. In the sense of what the world calls good people. Are there going to be bad people in heaven? Yes. Because the only people that get to heaven are what? Saved people. 
people that were under the blood of Christ. I don't think that many of us would go, if we were honest about it, you go, how many would like to really just hang out with the murderous thief on the cross next to Jesus? You go, he didn't have any great transformation, right? He just died. He was found guilty. He was dying. He was just moments away from death. But Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. You go, that's like, and people get so mad at that. That's like a get out of jail free card. No, it wasn't free. Grace isn't free and grace isn't cheap because it cost Jesus his life. His blood shed on Calvary for you and for me. So you look, you go, okay, so I, I hear you, Pastor Mike. But is there any example in scripture? Well, the one that just jumps off the page to me is Joseph, right? What did Joseph, his brothers, man, you talk about a past, you know, hated his guts, threw him in a pit, left him for dead, right? And then sold him into slavery. He ends up where? In Egypt. And what happens? There's a famine in the land. They go to Egypt, need bread. They discover their brother. And they're going, uh-oh, we got a past. And they're thinking he's going to kill us, right? Their whole life is driven by this fear. And yet, what does Joseph do? Genesis 50, verse 20, here's what he says. He says, but as for you, think about your past. He, could he change his past? No. Could he change how he saw his past? Absolutely. Did he use his past to inspire him? Absolutely. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as is this day to save many people alive. See, it's when we reach that place of maturity where we can say all things, not some things, but all things really do work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul understood that no matter what he went through, because God is sovereign and God is good all the time and God was in control that somehow, some way, though it looks terrible to me, it looks terrible to you, that we serve a God of redemption. We serve the God of the resurrection. That God can take something that you go, you don't understand, Pastor Mike, it's dead. Yeah, I do. Matter of fact, Lazarus is a great story. Jesus didn't go to him on the first day that he was dead, right? He didn't go to him on the second day that he was dead. He didn't show up on the third day. He showed up on the fourth day because the fourth day is what? The day of decomposition. When the body starts to decompose. And so here's Lazarus and it says, and he what? Stinketh. So he waited until Lazarus was good and stinky to do what? The impossible. There's nothing impossible with God. What's impossible for me, what's impossible for you is possible with God. And that, that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to, to get. It's what he wants us to understand, which will lead us to the, the fourth essential truth here. If you're thinking of essentials for success in your life and you look at Paul's life, the fourth thing that we see is a passionate pursuit, a passionate pursuit here in verse 14. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now that word I press, it's the same verb that was translated. I follow after there in Philippians 3, 12, but what does it mean? In either, either sense, it means intense endeavor, intense endeavor. So here's, here's Paul in his life. He's going, I passionately pursue God. Can you say that about your life today? Are you passionately pursuing God? Remember, passion is suffering. Are you willing to suffer? You know, I mean, when was the last time, like I said, that we went, Lord, I want to know you in pain. But you know what? 
How many have ever suffered pain by a show of hands and God met you in the midst of that pain? Yeah, there's a lot of hands. <laughs> that he meets you there. Because there's nothing you're going to go through that Jesus himself hasn't gone through. Don't you love that about our high priest, the Hebrews declares to us, that we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand that he's been through everything. He's been tempted in all things as we have, but without sin. He's never failed you and he never will fail you, okay? And so when you look at that, I mean, the passion, and that's what Jesus had, and that's what Paul desired. So he says, I press toward that goal, I press in. Now, here's why I don't believe it's a, it's a race, I believe it's a chariot race. Because they, it wasn't a chariot like you would think, like you see in the movies that has this really nice, ornate kind of shield on the front of it. Basically, it was like at, at, at this point, I mean, in the evolution of, of, of chariots, was more like a boogie board, if you know what a boogie board is, and a boogie board with wheels, okay? And you could imagine a guy standing on a boogie board with wheels on it, and he's being pulled by a horse. You know, how's he going to do it? He's not going to just do it like this, like you know, I mean, he's probably, you know, holding back on it. And what is he doing? He's leaning forward. He's pressing, pressing in. He's, again, it's like I was talking about being aerodynamic. You're drafting. You know, it's like he's pressing in, you know, to be able to control this. And that's what Paul's saying. He's going, it's intense. There's an intense endeavor here. You know, as, as Paul, like I said, is there in Rome and he's seeing the Olympic Games here. Now, you could say from a running standpoint, does it still apply? And you go, absolutely. But it's at the end of the race, and Paul's not talking about the end of a race, but there is something at the end of a race. What does a runner do? When they get to the tape, they what? They lean in. So you could say that it could work in, in either of those. I mean, again, you just have to study the text out there. You go, but what he's saying is, I press in. And, and that's there's strong language there. So when you think about your relationship and being successful or not successful, maybe you could look at it today and go, is there an intensity? Am I, am I pressing in? Am I really, am, or is it just like, you know, I, eh, I go to church, you know, I listen, you know, but I don't really study. I don't really dig in. I don't really go deeper, you know, that. Well, there's the difference between, you know, showing up and, and really being successful, really taking it, you might say, to the next level there. And again, I love that expression that says, if you love what you do, then you'll never work another day in your life. Now, it's not necessarily that that's true, but it has truth to it. You know, when you're passionate about, you have a reason to get up every day because you see, and again, people can do that in business, but Paul's going, no, it's not business. I'm a tent maker, okay? That's not what he was talking about. He said, I count all that as loss for what? The knowledge of knowing Jesus. What motivated him every day to get up was to know that God was with him and to know that God was in him the same way that we can. You go, hey, God's got a plan. I mean, we are immortal until when? Till the day God is done with us. You don't have to worry about a thing. I mean, you could, I love that there's a picture of a, a battlefield where there's guys sitting in there, they're eating, I think it was like World War II, and they're just sitting out in the middle of the battlefield and they're eating. And, and, it, and it talks about immortality. And it's a wonderful you know, presentation of that. They, they had no fear, no fear of you know, bombs bursting in air all around them. You go, when you're in what? The will of God. I love that expression that says, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And the most dangerous place to be is any other place place. Paul knew that he was in the center of God's will. And how did he know it? Because he knew God. He was pressing in to know the Lord. You know, he wasn't resting on the path. Well, hey, you know, I, I mean, I was a, you know, a, a Hebrew, a Pharisee, you know, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised. He, he didn't rest on any of those things. He traded religion for a relationship. And maybe that's what we need to do today. For some of us, you need to change 
by simply going, God, I'm going to exchange my religion for a relationship with you and go all in. Because I can tell you this, if you've done the best that you can and you've gone all in, you won't live with regret. But when you don't go all in, you know, and you kind of go, ah, I wonder if I would have just, you go, no, it's like, you know, in an athletic term, leave it all in the field. Leave it all in the field. Go all in. I mean, you, you know, Paul's life is proof of it. The scriptures declare it. Those who put their hope and their trust in God, what does his word tell us? We will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed, church, going all in. But you will be disappointed if you don't. And that's the invitation. It's not, like I said, we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about, you know, our life as a believer entering into the fullness of God, experiencing the joy of the Lord in our life. And if you want that, it's there for the attaining, but it's going to take something on our part. And the last one I'll leave you with here today, and it really probably encapsulates everything. Number five is a determined discipline, a determined discipline. And what I mean by that in verses 15 and 16, Paul writes this, he says, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it, even this to you, Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained it, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And what he's saying is, you know, using kind of an athletic metaphor, I think of another passage of Scripture that might put this into a better perspective for you. First Timothy 4, 7, and 8, where it says this, but reject profane old wives' fables. And he says, and exercise yourself towards godliness. Okay, he's not talking about physical exercise, but spiritual exercise says for bodily exercise profits little it says, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So now what's he talking about? He, his, the, his current decisions in life, the disciplines of his life aren't being made on the day. See, you know, in the world, what do you do? You go, Paul said, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then we should do what? Eat, drink, and be merry, Right. For tomorrow, what? We surely die. And, and many people live their lives that way. Even believers just going, I'm not worried about you know, tomorrow at all. And you go, there's a great expression that says, you know, live like there's no tomorrow, but plan like you're going to be here for 100 years, right? It's striking that balance again. And so when you think about you know, what Paul is telling us here, again, using running as an example, being reminded, he's not talking about how to work his way into heaven, right? He's talking about, how to earn the rewards you'll get once you get there. Because understand this, you are going to die one day. And you're going to stand before God, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Everybody has a day before God. And for us as believers, we don't have to fear what Scripture talks about, the great white throne judgment, where the wicked and the dead will be judged. They'll stand before God and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. They'll be cast into hell for all eternity. But you and I will stand before God. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can read those for yourself. And you'll understand that we will stand before, and Paul is using this term, bima, judgment seat, is, the, is what you would see in the Greek language of when you stand before the judges who gave out the awards during the Olympic Games or you know, the games that they had that became the Olympics. And so we understand this. You're going to be rewarded or not rewarded for your life in Christ, okay? So you get to decide. 
Are you going to be content, do you think? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, you know, there's going to be some that are going to make it as by fire, right? There's just going to be smoke all around it because all the things that you've done in this life, they don't add up to anything and they're just going to be burned up. You're going to be saved. You're going to be saved. That's not who he's talking to. He's going, but there's those of you, if you want to enjoy success as a Christian, you want to have more joy in your life as a believer, then you want to discipline yourself. You, you want to dis discipline yourself to godliness in your life. You want to put these disciplines into practice because you understand that the decisions that you're making today will affect the outcome of your, your life tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. And again, so why is that important? You go, all you have to do is, like I said, is turn on the news. You'll see it every day. You, can, you want to see what a world looks like that has no hope? Just look at the news. You want to see what a world looks like with hope? Then you look at believers who are practicing these things in their life. They're not being tossed and turned by every wind of doctrine. They're not losing their joy in the midst of all these storms of life. And you go, why? They go, because all these things are working together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. God is working in all these things. And it's an amazing thing. And Paul's going, so we are not pulled by our past. That's what a non-believer is. He's a victim or she's a victim of their past. You and I, you could say today, we become victims of our future. And that's the great joy that we have in Christ Jesus. And, and I hope that, you know, that, like I said, that you see that and, and understand and, and really take it to heart, you know, as Paul would remind us here, you know, in 2 Timothy 2.5, he says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And that's why that discipline is so important in our life. You get out of your lane, what happens? It doesn't mean that you did it on purpose. You go, there's rules, there's disciplines. You go out of your lane, you get disqualified. You become a stumbling block to someone else. I mean, what happens? You go out of your lane, you trip the person in their, their lane. That's why the lanes have two, two white lines that you run within your lane. And Paul recognized that. He, he recognized in his life that Jesus is both the reward and the rewarder. And that became the thing that dictated the course of his life every single day. But see, what will happen is if you let something and I let something get between me and Jesus, then what happens to our eyesight? We start getting distracted by all those things. That's why I love when Larry was praying that in worship today is Hebrews, you know, chapter 12 again. Do what? Looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes upon him. And that's where it begins. That's the beginning and the end of all this. So if you're here today and you're going, you know, Pastor Mike, I hear what you're saying and I am definitely not satisfied. You know, I mean, I am not satisfied, you know, with my faith. And you go, where does it begin then? And you go, then identify those things that are standing between you and him and leave those things here today. Leave them at the altar. Bring those things, confess it as sin. Say, God, these are the things. You offer that to God. You go, sin? You go, yes, offer that to God. You go, God, take this from me. I can't. You know the struggle. I know the struggle. The wishing's there to do, but the ability to perform it, it's not. But if you give those things to God, he will take those things. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul knew that. He experienced that. And he's going, there's nothing this life has for me. There's nothing this life has to offer me. I want Jesus. That's what, that's what Paul was saying. And that's what he's declaring for me and for you today. And my hope, like I said, is that as you look at this, you know, Hebrews 12, 2 really does become the, 
the end of, of all that I would share with you today. He says this in Hebrews 12 too. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. So we, we sometimes forget that. He's not just the author of your faith, but he's also the finisher of our faith. It says who, for what? For the joy that was set before him. You think about joy? Yeah, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? It was that you and I could be right with God again. That you and I could enjoy heaven. That you and I could enjoy a personal relationship ourselves with the true and the living God. And not based upon what we did, but his joy is in what he did for us. That he took our place on the cross and he imputed that righteousness. Righteousness means covering. That we're covered because of the precious blood of Christ Jesus. And Paul's going, man, I, I want, I'm going to spend the rest of my life coming to comprehend and, com and really coming to know that. And I pray that that's true for us. He says, and he despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I look at that and I go, God, is there anything that's between me and you today? Is there anything that I'm trusting more? Is there anything or anyone that's more valuable, God, to me than you? And those are the things that I have to look in my own heart. And where I can say yes to those things, then I have to go, God, do I want those out? And am I willing to give those things to him? He won't, just like the rich young ruler, he won't take them from you. He'll, he'll identify them. And if there's things in your life, he's already done that. But you have to say, I'm willing to surrender that to him. And my hope, my prayer is that you do, that his joy would be made full in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we do as we close. Um, Lord, we just ask you to help us to see those things, Lord, that creep into our lives, those things that, Lord, can come between us and you. And Lord, may we, like the Apostle Paul, be able to say in our own lives that the thing that we desire most in this life is that we might know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings being conformed to your death. Because, Lord, we know being conformed to your death brings nothing but life. Nothing but life. And I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us that, God, we would know that life, that gift that comes through surrender, dying to ourselves and allowing you to live in us, Lord. And Lord, forgive us for all the other things, those lesser things of this world that, Lord, vie for our attention and that, Lord, we give so much of our lives to. God, help us to see the truth of your word that the greatest blessings, Lord, that we have, they're already ours in Christ Jesus. And may we spend the rest of our days, Lord, knowing you, dedicating our lives, Lord, not just to knowing you, but to make you known. We love you. We need you so much, Lord. We bless you this day. God, be with us. Lead us and guide us, we pray. As we go from here, we go in the wonderful name of Jesus, thanking you and praising you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.